0: From St. Louis Public Radio, this is St. Louis on the Air. A lot of these kind of Republican priorities, dealing with trans girls in sports, dealing with uh, changing the way that racism is taught in schools, uh, initiative petition processes, uh, you know, changing that, a lot of those didn't get through. Um, And they just ran out of time. And I think the map being what it was, was a major impediment to that.
1: What do you think was the secret to the success there for
0: for, uh, the public school district? I think hearing from the public did make at least some of a difference. Um, I just think there was also just a need to get this done. And I think that as it was, it probably wasn't going to pass the Senate. Um, and, and this was a way to, to make the most people happy.
1: I'm Sarah Fenske. Last Friday marked the end of the legislative session in Jefferson City, and it also marked the dashed dreams of a whole lot of lawmakers. Very few bills made it through this year's regular session before the Senate abruptly adjourned Thursday, and that left the House with some limited options on its final day of Friday. So what legislation got through and what comes next? Well, joining us now with an overview of the session is St. Louis Public Radio State House Correspondent Sarah Kellogg. Sarah, welcome back.
0: Thanks for having me. Happy
1: to be back. So, Sarah, the big fight of this session was the fight that was resolved Thursday just before the Senate adjourned, and that was over redistricting. Is it fair to say that drawing these congressional maps consumed the majority of this
0: session? I think that's an incredibly fair statement. Uh, If you had asked me last week if they were going to pass a map, I wouldn't know what my answer was going to be. You know, and especially considering the Missouri House passed their version so quickly, their first map, um, they passed that in January. The Senate, you know, they took it up. They spent a full week talking about it, couldn't get anywhere, and then they paused until the end of March to get their version. And in that map, there was a stalemate. There was no way for that really to go anywhere, so the House had to do another map and that's the one that made it through
1: and when you say they paused were they doing other business dealing with other bills during that time or they were at a standstill
0: I mean, they were. In that pause, I think, you know, Senator uh, Minority Leader John Rizzo said, you know, when we're not talking maps, this body works. It really was kind of this kryptonite, as if that was on the table, just little else was going to get done. So that pause did allow the Senate, you know, as as functional as it was this year, uh, you know, to get some things through. And, And bringing up the map kind of the last week might have been a good idea because it wasn't blocking other stuff. So when we spoke to you, and
1: this was like months ago, we were talking, I think, around the time the House passed this map. At that point, the presumption was a six to two map, basically saying the Democrats are going to continue to likely be able to hold the two seats they hold and the other six parts of the delegation. These are going to be safe Republican districts. They ended up passing a six
0: to two map. Are there any big changes that came out of all these months of turmoil? And definitely, kind of the makeup of some of the districts. There's a couple areas that are split. Um, as you corrected, is you know, Kansas City, uh, Representative Emanuel Cleaver's district, pretty safe <laughs> Democrat, <laughs> I would say. And same with um, Representative uh, Cory Bush's seat, seem to be pretty safe Democrat seats. But you know, Boone County is split kind of in the middle of Columbia. Um, there's a couple counties that just kind of have these splits. Uh, the third district. You know, there's a question of compactness there. It kind of looks like it's giving districts one and two a really big hug is how one representative (laughs) described it. You know, there are some changes there. But as far as makeup, it thinks, you know, it's going to be more or less the same as it is right now.
1: So there was this conservative caucus of senators. They really wanted something different. They lost.
0: Yes, um, they wanted a seven one map, you know, their opinion is in their in the and and you know honestly speaking, from some of their constituents, their opinion was. You know, we have a Republican supermajority in the state. We should use that to our advantage and draw a 7-1 map, which would have, because um, the first district, which is Representative Cory Bush's district, is protected by the Voting Rights Act, mm. you could not mess with that district. That had to be a minority-majority district. Now, Manuel Cleaver's district wasn't like that. So it would have essentially split the Kansas City area up into in order to achieve that. But the counter argument was, well, in a really bad election year for Republicans, if you dilute that, that could turn into two seats Democratic eventually. So Hmm. they didn't get the 7 1 map. Uh, They did get a stronger third, you know, second district because that's another point of theirs was, well, Ann Wagner's district at the time was pretty on the first version of MAP was pretty vulnerable maybe in a couple election cycles. And I think it is stronger, but it's it's still not what they wanted.
1: Okay. So this was less a matter of how much do we like Congressman Cleaver or what do we feel about that future? It seems like maybe just some differing strategies for this Republican majority just really couldn't get on the same page for a long time.
0: Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. It just... You know, conservative has wanted the most conservative map and and, and uh, more of the Republican leadership in the Senate saw it a little differently and said, yeah, it might be immediately Republican, but maybe down the line it wouldn't be. So, this so there may- was just a lot of butting heads, <laughs>
1: a lot of butting heads. There's the understatement, Sarah Kellogg. So, so this <laughs> map, they have signed off on this. Does this mean now everybody knows what their districts look like? They can just start getting
0: ready for these races that are coming up in a matter of months. Yeah, I mean, bringing up the idea of timeliness, Like, yes, they know what it looks like. One thing they did manage to pass onto this map was an emergency clause, which we weren't sure if that was going to happen because <laughs> that was going to need Democrat support in the House because Republicans lost their super majority in order to get an emergency clause adopted. So as soon as Governor Parson signs this, it will go into effect. But you know, there's an idea of timeless. You know, there was originally this supposed deadline of, of getting the maps done before the filing deadline for the August primary, which was back in March. That didn't happen. And, and with this this map passed, the primaries is more or less two and a half months away. That's a lot for election officials to, to get the ballots done, know who's in what districts, getting those ba- you know ballots out, getting absentee ballots or military ballots out. There's a lot that has to be done in order for people to be able to cast their vote for the primary.
1: Hmm. So now we'll probably see a flurry of activity from all of these elections people working <laughs> behind the scenes. At the same time, you have said that a bill related to elections is the biggest non map, non budget bill that got through this session. So, what kind of changes are coming? for Missouri elections, assuming Governor Parson would sign this bill.
0: Yeah, I think it's probably a good assumption that he's going to sign this into law. But this is, yeah, this election omn- amount, omnibus, argue is kind of the biggest thing they did. Um, it has includes photo ID measures, which the state has repeatedly tried to implement before, you know, getting struck down, trying again it has photo ID. It strips COVID nineteen related election language that would have made it easier to vote, you know, in the middle of the pandemic. It gives the Secretary of State the ability to audit voter rolls. It phases out touch screen direct recording electronic voter machines. It does so much. It also adds two weeks of one of the Democrat You know, one of the lone Democrat supported things on this bill was two weeks of no excuse absentee voting before an election. Hmm. So right now, if you wanted to add an absentee, you'd have to say, hey, I'm going to be out of town. Uh, As as my colleague Jason Rosenbaum says a lot, we already kind of had that system. People just lie because, you know, what's the where's the accountability of, of that? So now there is a, you know, no excuse, which I think will drive more people to do absentee voting. Um, So there's there's just a lot in there. Uh, House Democrats deeply upset uh, over it, really expressing a lot of anger at Senate Democrats for not filibustering it more to which, uh, you know, Senate Democrats are like, there's 10 of us. You know, how much Mm -hmm. can we do? And and there might have been an inkling of this was something that the Senate was going to push through no matter what.
1: Okay, And so the House Democrats very upset about this. This bill, did this end up being basically a party line kind of uh, approval here?
0: Uh, it was absolutely a party-line approval on that one. Uh, I, the vote is not there for me, but it was at least 95-45. Sounds right, but I can't 100% guarantee that was the vote. But definitely uh, no Democrats voted for that. Hmm.
1: So there was also big, the <laughs> There was big debate over the funding for charter schools. St. Louis Public School District very concerned that this could have taken away a lot of money from its coffers at a time when that district is already very much struggling. What ended up happening to that issue?
0: This was truly a huge it shows kind of how much a bill can change when it goes from one chamber to the other so when this bill left the house you know it was pretty much a partisan bill it's something that the sponsor representative Doug Ritchie had worked on for years and what it does right now public charter schools are paid less per student than its traditional public school counterpart counterparts mm-hmm. and so this bill would have used public school funding to make up for that difference and and from what I was hearing in committee, the legislature had worked with the Kansas City Public School District to kind of come up with an agreement, but then they also applied it to St. Louis Public Schools without kind of having the same kind of conversations. So there was a lot of just unhappiness over that. I mean, St. Louis Public Schools were set to lose eighteen million dollars. Wow! This. And now instead, the, the the so when so that was when it left the house, and it came to the Senate, and the Senate worked. They worked on this bill, and it. Emerge as something entirely different. It now the state takes up that difference. They made the pie bigger, basically. This change is going to cost the state around 62.2 and 74.9 million dollars. But now the state's going to take up that difference in funding for charter schools. So now they're both going to be fully funded in on that. Um, aspect and and Kate Grumpy Grumkey, our education reporter, you know said that's pretty. Uh, you know, both St. Louis public schools and public charter schools are pretty happy with that.
1: Yeah, that seems like a huge victory for the St. Louis public schools. We don't always see lawmakers loving. Uh, oh, how to put it? Not every lawmaker loves St. Louis and its issues. What do you think was the secret to the success there for for uh, the
0: public school district here? I think in part, this was a a very, very large delegation of St. Louis Public School parents. Um, Some officials came to the Capitol when they were discussing this bill. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, some said this is the most we've heard from you on this and and there was definitely kind of this reach of a compromise before the bill went over the Senate there actually was an amendment added by Democrats that would have at least delayed this from going to effect for St. Louis public schools for a while Um, but this change was just so much more so I think hearing from the public did make at least some of a difference Hmm. Um, I just think there was also just a need to get this done and I think that as it was it probably wasn't going to pass the Senate Um, and then this was a way to to make most people happy
1: Hmm. So I mentioned earlier the fact that the Senate adjourned very abruptly Thursday, and that kind of tied the House's hands a little bit. But not entirely on the last day, as the House continued to work on Friday, they passed 20 pieces of legislation. I imagine you're still getting your head around what is in these 20 pieces that they pushed through at the last minute. How did things change at the last minute? A whole bunch of questions there. But what stands out to you (laughs) among the flurry of bills that the House pushed through on that final day?
0: I mean, a part of it was how much they were able to get done. You know, we asked uh, Speaker of if they got a heads up that the Senate was going to adjourn after they passed the map, and he said no. <laughs> so they had to kind of work with what they had, which honestly isn't nothing. They had conference committee reports that they could theoretically dissolve if it was kind of a, a House bill that had already passed the Senate or, you know, a Senate bill that the House had to approve of. They had Senate bills they could pass, you know, stripping them of maybe House committee substitutes. So there was stuff they could pass. And it ended up being, yeah, around 20 pieces. It was like 20 pieces of legislation. Um, Two that stand out to me, there is a lot to go through. Um, One, modifies hospital visitation policy. So because of the COVID-19 pandemic, there were a lot of restrictions as to who could visit people in hospitals, you know, at the risk of not spreading COVID-19 more. And Mm -hmm. so this was um, definitely a Republican priority this year, I would say. You know, after the House passed their version, it's called the No Patient Left Alone Act or the Compassionate Care. There's kind of different titles for it. They held a news conference. (laughs) This is the House saying, hey, we passed this piece of legislation. So you could tell this was something they were happy with and 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 it, it did go through changes in the senate but it, it allows you know basically t- at least six hours of in-person vegetation and up to two visitors in a room this is now um, a state law it,
1: it's not up to hospital well, to signed, but yeah. yeah i mean assuming <laughs> um, governor parson signs it this this just basically says to hospitals you can't set your own policies
0: yeah, and part it does. And and, and part of it, uh, the argument was saying that people who were secluded, you know, a lot of these, some of these reps had people who they lost to COVID and, and saying, you know, if I had had someone, if I had been there, you know, maybe they would have gotten more care, or more attention paid to them. It might have saved their life. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's a big, you know, if, you know, what a big what if question that is. But yeah, it does. It makes the changes. Those. I think it was and I can't remember the specifics. I know it did go through the Senate. And I think it made it a little more palatable because pre- I am pretty—I can't remember the exact vote with House Democrats, but it wasn't as unhappy <laughs> as they were before. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other big bill that I think that they changed is they passed a bill that establishes a prison nursery program. So right now, um, women uh, or people who give birth in prisons um, are not allowed to be with their child for very long. Mm-hmm. Um, under this program that would be established in one of the women's prisons, um, they would be up to be with their child for, I'm pretty sure it's 18 months, wow. which is a huge amount of time to bond with your with your child. Yeah, and so that was that was an incredibly bipartisan bill. That was something that had a lot of support and, and, and how it will help, you know, Missourians in general. And so that was that was um, something that passed no problem. Mm-hmm. I don't think there was this, I think there was one no for it, maybe. I mean, it was overwhelmingly bipartisan. And honestly, a lot of these bills were bipartisan. There weren't a lot of party line votes on the last day
1: Mm, interesting so one last thing i wanted to ask you about as we have you here today we talked on this Mm. show last week about a bill that would prevent transgender girls from playing on girls sports teams at any school that receives any state funding private or public that had Mm. passed the house before the senate abruptly adjourned did that get through
0: it did not um, there was, you know, depending on how you look at it, of how much maps monopolize, and my goodness, we didn't even talk about the budget <laughs> that they managed to pass, uh, which is like $49 billion that the state's yeah, going you know, to have to do. That That's a future thing. appearance. Yeah. That's a future appearance. But um, a lot of these kind of Republican priorities dealing with trans girls in sports, dealing with uh, changing the way that racism is taught in schools, uh, initiative petition processes, uh, you know, changing that, a lot of those didn't get through. Um, and I, they just ran out of time. And I think the map, being what it was, was a major impediment to that. So there were some things that definitely didn't cross the finish line for Republicans that Democrats are probably really happy about. So
1: Sarah, will the legislature reconvene anytime soon?
0: I don't see it happening anytime soon. I think if they had not passed American Rescue Plan Act dollars, um, because that isn't part of the operating budget you know, normally that could have been a special session. Um, I think we're going to, I don't think we're going to see them until veto session. I, mm-hmm. Governor Parson, you know, he told me when I interviewed him, gosh, at the beginning of session, that he doesn't like to call special sessions unless there's a clear goal. Mm-hmm. And I don't know a priority that he kind of wants to let the legislature have until, you know, he justified not calling one for. Um, the for redistricting, saying, you know, there wasn't a clear goal there. He wasn't really wrong, you know, considering how long it took. Uh, I don't see them meeting anytime soon. But who knows? Me predicting the session <laughs> is, uh, I shouldn't do it. <laughs> Well, I'm glad we just lured you into doing it, but (laughs) Governor Parson is now in
1: charge, and yeah, he's on the record, not a big fan of of a whole bunch of special sessions. So it's so Mm -hmm. interesting to hear about everything that happened in these recent days here. (laughs) Sarah Kellogg, thank you for
0: making the time. I hope after this you can take just a little bit of time off here. Uh, yeah, that's the plan. At least a couple days. I've earned a couple days in comp time and, and uh, definitely ready to, to not think about politics for at least like a day.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, we hope you enjoy that one day of not thinking about politics. <laughs> and Sarah is St. Louis Public Radio's House correspondent. This is St. Louis on the air on St. Louis Public Radio. Today's episode was produced by Sarah Fenske with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Doerr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air?